Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. You're listening to the Indo Daily. Today, we bring you an episode from the Irish Independent's Big Tech Show. In recent weeks, Google and Apple have begun pulling all their Irish workers back into the office. Other big companies are starting to do the same, and it's not just the tech giants like Amazon, Intel and Salesforce. A glance at Indeed.com, the biggest recruitment site, shows that of 58,000 jobs currently advertised, just 4,000, which is about 7%, allow you to be remote. So here's a question. What happened to all the talk about our work lives changing forever, about having more choice in working outside the office? Was it all just bullshit? Or maybe just a beautiful dream? I'm Adrian Weckler, tech editor of the Irish and Sunny Independent, and I'm joined today by Tracy Kyo, co-founder of Grow a Remote. Tracy, was it a beautiful dream? That was some introduction to this, Adrian. Um, no, it's happening. Um, and so to start off on that piece about Indeed and the 7% of jobs, what what we've seen, so up, up until maybe it's about a year ago now, neither LinkedIn nor Indeed allowed you to advertise without location. In that, there was literally no button. You had to put in one location. So good remote companies moved to the likes of We Work Remotely, EU Remote Jobs, Remote OK, Stack Overflow when they were doing a jobs board. And what we're seeing there is that there are 80,000 remote jobs on the market uh, available across Europe, and that's growing at a rate of between 5 to 7% every month. So where we're looking for these jobs is one of the problems with where we're getting the information from on, on remote. Yeah, I mean, I have the figures here in front of me, though, just in terms of the big tech giants that mm. are here. Google, Dublin, 9,000 workers, 50% of which are, uh, are contractors, by the way all back into the office in the next 90 days. Apple Cork, 5,000 of its 6,000 workers back to the office. Amazon, AWS, 4,000 people. Meta, it's undecided, but has 3,000 people here, etc., etc. I think if anyone was going to jump on this innovative way of allowing staff to work, it was going to be them, I've felt. And if they don't do it, then who will? Yeah, I think I think Google are, are an interesting one, right? So, um, to to bring it along to com- we haven't had a conversation with Google directly, um, but we have had conversations with other large Irish institutions, and what they say is. I can't go remote. Uh, I've got a building that I pay significantly um, a huge amount of rent on. So what, I I just let that go and say, now I'm paying for what? Two, three desks because people are working from home, hub, office. Like it's not actually feasible for them at that point. Um, And so I think companies like big tech giants have invested a huge amount in keeping people on their campus. And so it's a significant risk to say, you know, do whatever you like. Um, Other than the money that they've spent on that. And you're right to point it out. And the meals you get, for example, in Mm -hmm. Facebook are just out of this world and it's largely free. But other than that, what is it about those companies and the decision makers there, the HR directors, that feel 
they want to get people back into the office to produce their best work. Yeah. So so what we do, right, is is, is change. And we, we look at change in three categories. So we've got evangelists. Everything is great about remote. Don't even talk, talk to me about, you know, anything, anything that's negative. Then we have neutrals who are like, hmm, I'll go either way. And then we have skeptics. Um, and what am I? Uh, I'm, I'd say you're going from neutral into skeptic. I'd say you're okay. you're, you're you're on that. Uh, that's fair. The red line of of, 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 a, of the neutral bar, you would say. But um, if, if we if we look at that category, um, I spoke to somebody a couple of weeks ago, which was a very uh, insightful conversation for me and one of those conversations that would dictate the work Grow Remote does. He was a CFO in a huge billion euro company and he said, hold on a second now, Tracy, this is very ideological about remote work. You're asking me to take on a significant risk and yes, people are asking for it for sure but who has to pay their salaries at the end of the month? That's my job. I need to make sure, you know, they're not going to be happy if if we can't keep up what we're doing already. And and his point was that the business case isn't there yet. So I think on that kind of trajectory of change, if we worked with those evangelists, the people who just get it. I was speaking to Finn Hegarty, a co-founder of, of Glowfox, years ago and he spoke about hybrid wasn't working for them and they were saying look we'll go back into the office and some point during the meeting he said we just need to make remote work work and they did so we need to go into those organisations pull out all of these stats uh, the business case how it's working for them and how they're achieving that and bring it to those kind of that bunch of people in the, in this in that sceptics pile I wonder what the problem is because if you read the reports from some of the big companies, they will say that their productivity didn't really dip that much during the pandemic when everybody was forced to work from home. Now, leave aside the question whether a pandemic is the best way to judge uh, work from home uh, work practice. If productivity is OK when people work outside the office, I wonder what their real problem is. Um, we've developed a, a, a list. So we run a tra- training program. We've got large uh, companies on it um, and, and talk to this, talk about this to people every day. Um, and there's about 25 problem statements that you come up against in every single organisation that you're that you're with. So learning by osmosis, mm. um, social interaction, fine within the team, uh, but you try to have social interaction between teams in a large organisation, can't do it. So productivity in that particular team might be good, but how is innovation and collaboration? They're having a challenge there. So there there are there are quite a few challenges that haven't been worked out yet. Um, the founder of Remote.com, a, a brilliant company in the remote space, says, you know, we've had hundreds of years to figure out the office. We need a little bit of time to figure out remote work. And so there are problem statements, but we're already seeing uh, solutions coming out of companies around how they're solving for this. eBay will be one of those. I mean, they've done significant work around remote work since 2018, just about capturing some of that. Yeah. The working together bit is quite an interesting one. And I'm always reminded of colleagues of mine, for example, in independent newspapers who are younger, who might be under 26, under 27. Maybe they've started in the last year or two. Maybe they're just out of college. And to them, coming to a new organisation, part of the deal is that they get to learn from us in the same location. They get to see how things are done, how stories are gathered, how calls are made, um, you know, how processes work, for example. And it has always struck me that one of the biggest challenges from uh, with remote working is the lack of that capability. Um, so you graduate from college, for example, say you're 23, 24. Let's say the company you go to work for is fully remote. What does that look like? I mean, where do you work on day one? In in your parents' house, in your one bed apartment, 
you know, outside the M50. I don't know. Um, so uh, I guess my question around that is how we think about that for for younger people. Yeah, I think it's interesting. So Shopify are obviously one of Ireland's largest employers in remote employers in Ireland, and they're all work from home roles specifically. They don't have an office in Ireland and they would have quite a young workforce. Right. Um, and I suppose, again, remote work in, in most instances is not about forcing you into a box room of your home or home versus office or anything. It's about choice um, and location agnostic access to employment. So one of the first um uh, stories that we got on, on, on Grow Remote was a guy who was 20-something. Um, his mother had cancer. He needed to move home to Leitrim. And so not everybody who's of a, of a younger demographic has, has um, I suppose, the same wants or needs or, or, or peace in life. But I do think that if you look at, I think it was Loom who last week announced, I can't remember what they call it, some kind of fund. But it's basically you get a fund to travel to your workmates all over the world. So you're going to Greece, mm. meeting up with somebody. You're going to Malta. The next month, meeting up with somebody else, you're spending another week on a yacht in the middle of somewhere on a team retreat. I mean, this is really exciting stuff I, if you're just coming it into It sounds the like a dream yeah. I mean, to go back to, to my intro. But just to come back to that generational thing, yeah. I'm a devil for this. I do it I in a it. lot of uh, columns and analysis that I write for the paper. Mm. For some reason, I always reach back to uh, generational stuff. But during the pandemic, like we heard a lot of talk about people predicting a change in the way we, were, we we would work. A lot of it was work from home. To me, a lot of it seemed to be dominated by middle-aged, middle-ranking staff, people like me, um, with purchased comfortable houses mm. and not as much from younger people or, or even the, the very top executives or top managers. And it always struck me that the people who were... Uh, most enthusiastic about it were people who had more to gain from their comfortable lifestyles. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I mean, so in Grow Remote, in our work, right, in our community work, um, we've been asked for many years, what's the demographic? And we haven't seen one that we can say, this is it. It's middle-aged something or it's really old, whatever. I, You know, th th there's nothing necessarily that we're seeing there. Um, so I think maybe that's because we're working with, I suppose, organisations that employed remotely in the first instance. So people begin to design their lives around the idea that they can live anywhere. So, you know, if you're if you're looking at a graduate who's working, who came up to Dublin to work in a firm, and that's what I did when I started and Dicey's on a Thursday night, come on, it's excellent. And you're going there with your intake and it's just brilliant. Like it's part of why you love uh, uh, coming up here. But you, you can only work in, in your bedroom, like the corner of your bedroom and all of your housemates are around and it's stuffy and it's not what you want to be doing. So I think, again, if we look at that trajectory of change to where we're at, I mean, it, that definitely would not suit uh, that younger demographic um, of graduates. And it definitely is more suitable to middle age group. But I think if you look at where we're going, which is kind of the companies that we work with, it's more accessible to everybody. And fundamentally, again, it's about choice. It's not about stuffing anybody into their bedroom. Colleague of mine, John Isle, in the paper, uh, he is very pro remote working and he rather caustically, he's very good at, at doing well-observed caustic takes. And I mean that in, in a positive way, John, if you're, you're listening. Um, he has a theory that wanting staff back in the office is mainly a middle management thing so that they don't feel redundant, so that it gives their roles visible purpose from a day-to-day from a -day perspective in terms of physical intera interaction. 
Do you think there's any validity to that? Huge amount of validity. So Kate Lister is the best researcher in remote work, has been doing it long before COVID existed. She has a website called Global uh, uh, Workplace Analytics and she says one of the biggest blockers to remote work is middle managers. Remote How did a survey uh, last uh, last year and they're again a big training company specifically in remote work. Trust is the biggest issue for people managers. One of the surveys that we've seen when a company went out, um, again a large company on the transition, did a survey to staff. Um, something like 90% of all colleagues said let us work remotely. 77% of managers said absolutely not. Everybody back in the office. Now I'm not sure it's because they're they're trying to make a job for themselves. It's simply that Firstly, leadership need to be really uh, bought into this so that this coming from the top, right? We need change of three levels of an organisation, CEOs, people managers, and then all colleagues. And second of all, like we're changing roles. Like all of a sudden you're asking me to, like I already had a problem with Timmy and now you're saying he can hide away from me all day. Like that's totally unreasonable. So supporting those middle managers with the change is, it's it's key. Mm-hmm. Absolutely central to managing the transition well. Yeah, when somebody thinks yeah. Um, there's a cultural element to this as well. I remember before the pandemic, if I had a colleague or I heard of somebody who was working fully remotely, it always seemed to me a little eccentric, almost like it was an accommodation for somebody who was in special circumstances. Um, and I'm wondering, is that informing the reticence of big companies in allowing people to be fully remote? Is that still there in the back of their minds when they're asking everybody to come back into the office. Do you think that mindset is there? Absolutely. Yeah, we only know, we only understand remote work from our personal experience of it often. And and years ago, it was one-off deals for people and then it was COVID. And that's kind of all we understand of it. But um, we were at a, a, we were running a community meetup in, in, in Castle Bar, the biggest kind of offline community of remote workers in Ireland. And I met two people uh, from the same organisation who were working remotely. And they're like, don't tell anybody though, don't tell anybody. I just got a special deal. Kate Lister, back to Kate Lister says, roles are remote, not people. So if you have one-off deals, to be honest, it's not going to work for either the company nor the person. And we can get into even the, the community mm. economic development impacts of that too. But it's, it's not going to work for either. And that's why if we look at the change, we need changes in technology, policy and culture. And for culture, we need an investment into remote first cultures where location is no, no longer relevant in anything really. But one-off deals did do remote work a huge amount of damage. Yeah. Now I'd listed off the tech companies who are demanding that their workers come back into the office. But there are actually a few that have either told their staff that they can work at home forever if they want, like Twitter, for example. I think Indeed uh, also did the same thing. Um, And they have quite a big operation here in Dublin. But some of them are now also allowing people to work outside the country. Meta, for example, recently said that it would allow a certain number to work outside Ireland and still be attached to the Dublin office. And that's a big thing because normally, for a variety of reasons, tax, legal, sometimes IDA grants issues, they won't let you work for the Irish office in another country. You can't go to the Canaries and stay there for six months, uh, you know, on the beach and and do all your work uh, from there. Um, Do you see any gathering evidence of companies allowing uh, people to work outside the country? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I know Dropbox are, are were one of the first companies you were working for that again, who had kind of made that made that transition, and they're allowing people to work outside the country for ninety days. But your primary, you know, place of residence needs to be Ireland, um, and it, so there's a small bit of flexibility. But sometimes remote work is also con- confused with nomads and people who travel around everywhere, and you know, are on Bali and then the Canaries and then wherever. And I suppose usually remote work is in one location with a little bit more flexibility in terms of where that is, um, and and. Boundless would have would would have a a lot of information on this in terms of then when people can move anywhere, you know currently Portugal, everybody's going to Portugal. Um, it's got everything that they need. They've got a really thriving ecosystem around remote work and nomads and all of that. And that that is that's a huge risk um, for Ireland Inc. It's a huge risk for for a lot of things actually. Huge opportunity also. I wonder if you live in a beautiful village in Portugal and you see you know a load of redheaded people with their laptops uh, <laughs> land on you and maybe they're working for well-paid companies and maybe they can now afford, maybe they're taking up the all the decent apartments or uh, the, the decent Airbnbs and maybe you've lived in that village for 20 years and maybe now you can't afford to, you know, the rent there. Um, that's not your problem or my problem, but it's an interesting potential side effect to... Um, a diversification of where people are going to live. Absolutely. And it's, it is a significant issue and nobody speaks about that kind of that negative impact or that challenging impact of of this side of remote work. And it is really important. I remember being up on Aramore Island and talking to Jerry Early, mm. uh, who's on that famous ad now and, and runs a brilliant pub up there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the most connected island in Ireland. But, uh, According to three, but go on. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, he's. I said, look, you know, when somebody arrives in on the pier, kitting off the boat, like, what's your vision of what this will look like when we're done? And he said, I don't know, but there'd be no glass houses here anyway. And what he meant is he, he what he wanted is to use this new way of working and everything else to get back to what Aaron Moore was. Right. And that's really important that we don't erode the very fabric of our communities, which is why people want to live there in the first place. And if all we're doing is attracting people in with Dublin and San Fran or wherever base salaries, that's going to push up the price of our houses. Where are we going to live? It's that, And that's why we need systemic change. I suppose when, when we're done, all going well. We need employment to be advertised without location within Ireland. So it's not just people coming in to our communities, which we are so used to. It's bringing our own communities up as well. And and that's that's the big unlock. I guess that's a very difficult ask. There's no clean answer to that because cities and countries are dynamic by their nature. Companies come, companies go. Economic activity comes and goes. People with more money uh, come and... I guess if you take Dublin as an example, Dublin is a much wealthier place than it was 30 or 40 years ago. Some of that is because of the tech companies that are here. That has displaced quite a few people. If you walk around some of the inner city areas and you look for a two-bed apartment or two-bed house for under €350,000, you are not going to find one. Um, And that's largely because Dublin is a wealthier place. And it's unless you build a a lot of public housing, it's, it's difficult to find an answer for that one. Just looking forward a few years, mm. what do you think is going to happen or what do you hope to see happen in, in the area of remote working? Um, my guess, again, it's from, I guess, working with companies who are remote pre-pandemic and kind of went through a couple of different versions of it. Uh, three Horizons. Current Horizon is, um, OK, you can come two days in, three days out, you know, do you know, we'll, be able, we'll kind of give a little bit here. Second Horizon is, OK, hybrid does not work. And as I was telling you, maybe before the podcast, uh, we took three calls last week from large companies saying this isn't working for us. This is actually more problematic, you know, so that'll be the second one. And they'll make a decision at that point 
right, we're either going to go invest in the in the cultural um capital investment that we need to make to go remote first and embed that across the organization or everybody's back to the office. And I do not think there's anything bad with anybody, everybody going back to the office. Plenty of people want to go back to the office. It's simply about, I suppose, from from our perspective, certainly in Grow Remote, ensuring that those that those leaders and, and decision makers have all of the information that they need around remote work to make the best decision for them. So there, there's still a lot of myths and all that kind of assumptions around remote work. Um, and it's about for that second horizon, ensuring that there is just good quality, factual, practical information available. To and them. that's where you come in, right? That's where Grow Remote comes in, right? Yeah, we need to see change. What, what we do is, you know, social change, systemic change. Um, and it is our job, like we're the only 10 people in Ireland responsible for remote, remote work. You know, that's our bread and butter every day, all day. Mm, it's a big responsibility, Tracy. I know, yeah. Our future's in your hands. Please, please be uh, uh, be good with it. Um, Tracy Kyo, co-founder of Grow Remote, thank you very much for coming today to our podcast. And that's all we have time for this week, folks. So for me, Adrian Wecker, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent, I'll talk to you same time next week. Bye-bye. 